Everybody say thanks living. Thanks living. We are going to embark on the month of November as a month of thanks living. And as I prep for this, and, and I, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a thing to be thankful. And it's a thing to be ungrateful. And this month we celebrate Thanksgiving. Who likes Thanksgiving? We like Thanksgiving, turkey, dressing, cranberries, and football. Right? Turkey, dressing, cranberries, and football, and sweet potato casserole, and green beans, and all kinds of stuff that we eat because we like to eat, and we like sports, and we like family. And we get together with our family, and we're thankful for where we are. We're thankful for the blessings in our life. And, and to much of society, Thanksgiving is about turkey, dressing, cranberries, and football. Right? Who knows people like that? That Thanksgiving is just a time to get together and eat and, and watch football and have a good time. The, the first Thanksgiving in America was celebrated by 53 pilgrims and 90 Native Americans. 53 and 90. And they were celebrating the first harvest of the pilgrims in the New World because the Native Americans have been here for generations. And they had had harvest after harvest after harvest. But the pilgrims were all excited because they had just arrived on the scene. And they had planted their crops and they had grown some corn. And they were thankful. So they, they had a celebration of Thanksgiving. And that thing lasted three days. I'm not sure I could do Thanksgiving for three days. I may pop. Like I may just explode. Because at the end of one day, I'm full of turkey and dressing and cranberries and football. And, and I, I, you know, so full. And the turkey makes you go to sleep. And that's proven medically, by the way, that turkey makes you sleep. And, and you're just in this food coma by 3 o'clock. And you're happily miserable. Does that make sense? You're happily miserable. A three, can you imagine a three-day Thanksgiving? I would try it. Just to see what happens. But now it's, it's, it's the day to get together with your family. It's, it's what we do. And by the way, we are doing Thanksgiving baskets this year for our community. So if you are interested in, in participating, uh, Michelle, stand up. I don't, I don't want to do this. Michelle, stand up. Cabri, stand up. Yeah, there you go. Perfect timing, right? You can be seated. See these two after church, and you can get involved in Thanksgiving baskets to bless somebody with some food that wouldn't normally have turkey, dressing, cranberries on their table that day. And that's a good and noble thing to do. Amen? Amen. Get involved. Do that. It's a good thing to do. So, today Thanksgiving can even be the day before Black Friday. It's taken on a whole new meaning now. And now stores open at, at noon or 5 or 6 or 8 on Thanksgiving Day. And people are looking th- at the internet ads and the emails for Black Friday. What am I going to get my kids and what deal am I going to get and blah, 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 right? That's, that's really where a lot of our world and our society is. But today and the rest of this month, we want to help you understand that thankfulness is more, it's much more than just a day that we celebrate it's more than a good practice or a polite thing to do. It's more than a turkey. It's more than stuffing, more than cranberry, and more than football. It's more than Black Friday. Understand that there is a difference between a moment of giving thanks and a lifestyle of thanks living. There's a huge difference. Thanks living is a lifestyle. It's a mindset. And the scripture tells us to be transformed how? Not by what we do, not by what we say, 
but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. That's what Scripture says. Not by our actions or not by our words or not, not even by what people tell us, but be transformed by the way we think. So if we can get rid of the, the, of the mindset of just turkey dressing, cranberries, and football, and we can get into a lifestyle of thanks living, I promise you that your life will change. I promise you that your life will. I believe that a heart of thanksgiving and a life of thanks living, they're both critical to a successful walk with Jesus Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us that it is the will of God for our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read six verses. Now we ask brothers and sisters to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. That's your, that's your church leadership. Hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the, the disheartened and help the weak. That's being your brother's keeper. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. We're no longer in the eye for an eye dispensation. That's under the law. Now we're under grace. Now we're taking care of each other. We're praying for our enemies. We're praying for those that spitefully use us. That's what scripture says. We're not, it's no longer eye for an eye. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And here's the key verse for the whole month. The first, the key three verses. Rejoice always. Rejoice always, pray continually, King James says pray without ceasing. And verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. We're going to talk about this the whole month, and we're going to give you some circumstances that you face, and we're going to tell you how to give thanks in those circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we give thanks, not just when things are great, not just when things are going as we want them to go, not just when we get the promotion, not just when we're healthy, not just when the money is in the bank, not just when the person you like likes you, not just when your husband actually puts the toilet seat down, now getting in where we live a little bit. Not just when the cabinet doors are closed or the, or the house is, you know, locked when you leave. Tristan was home the other night and, and I was getting ready to go to bed and I went to the front door completely unlocked. I'm like, dude, we don't live in utopia. <laughs> Wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, somebody's looking over your bed, would, would not be a fun thing. Lock the door. So it's not just about giving thanks when things are great and things are going our way. It's about giving thanks in all, everybody say all, all circumstances. So why, if, if this is in the Bible, if this, doesn't this feel like common sense? Doesn't this feel like common sense? You will learn, if you don't know this already, that common sense isn't so common. It's okay to laugh at yourself. You're laughing at somebody else, but you actually laugh at yourself on this one. Sometimes we just don't use common sense. That's, that's for everybody. In a society where we have so many different conveniences, everything is at our fingertips. We have the ability to do more than any generation before us. We have more conveniences. Life is just 
simpler, maybe not simpler, but it's easier for us to do. Technology has shrunk the world. I was, I was looking at this, this thing on the History Channel, the, the Men Who Built America. Did anybody watch that? And they were talking about Carnegie and, and uh, uh, yeah, J.P. Morgan and all those guys. And, and they were talking about him going to Ireland or, or somewhere overseas. And you have to understand, back at, in the 1800s, dude had to get on a ship and ride across the ocean to get there. It could take a long time. A week, two weeks to get from point A to point B. And now we get on a plane and we're there in four hours. So technology has, has shrunk the world to a point where we can, we can be anywhere in a matter of hours. My wife told me last week they're, they're, they're looking at a space plane that would actually put you up in orbit and take you from point A to point B in just like an hour, hour and a half. That's pretty amazing. I might want to do that. That's fun. But you do realize when you fly, you're in an aluminum tube, 30,000 feet in the air. Does that not freak anybody out? A little bit. But technology has done this for us. We can, we can get information at a moment's notice. How many times a day do you use Google? I'm telling you. If there's something you don't know, if there's something you have a question about, you type it in Google and you will have an answer in seconds. Sometimes a million, two million, three million answers in just a matter of a couple of seconds. Don't always trust Wikipedia. Because that's put in there by people that think they know what the deal is. And sometimes they don't know the deal. But we can find anything. We can do anything. And it's both good and bad. Can you see the good and bad and all that? You would think with everything we have and with everything that we can do, we would live in a state of gratitude. Like, man, this is awesome. Google, I love you. You might say that anyway. Google Maps. Who remembers the foldable paper maps that you never could get back folded correctly. You know, you, get, you buy it, it's this tall, and it's this wide, and it's this thin in the store. You buy it for like 98 cents, it's this map, it's great, it's awesome. And you unfold this thing, and it's this big. And you've got it laying down in the front seat of your car, trying to navigate through. If you've never used a map, who's never used a map? Be honest with me, come on. When, when I was, when I was uh, 19, I was, I was in the Marine Corps, and I drove from California to Indiana all by myself in my car. It, was a, it took days, and it was fun. But before I left, I bought an Atlas. Who's had one of those? It's like this big and this wide, and it's like this thick, and it's got the entire country in there. And I'm, I'm going through California. I got that page. And then I'm, I'm going into New Mexico. So I got to flip over to New Mexico so I can make sure I'm on the right road and see the right exits. And then I'm, then I'm going to Texas. Then I'm all through the bottom of the country. I'm, I'm like flipping pages to make sure I'm on the right page, the right map, and going the right direction by myself. But now, man, you've got Google Maps. I used it yesterday. I'm like, where is this place? And I hit go. And this, this pin showed on the map. And I hit directions, and it showed me the map. And I hit navigate, and it started talking to me. That's amazing. That is beautiful. But the flip side of that is Big Brother knows where you are. (laughs) At all times. They know that your phone is beside your head on your nightstand or on your pillow 
at night. They know where you are. They know where you've been. And we are all completely trackable. The good and the bad. Think about that. So you would think with all this technology and everything we have access to that we would live in a state of gratitude. But we really don't. Listen to this. 88% of Americans, that's almost 9 out of 10. So if I count off 10 of you, this would include 9 of you. Almost 9 out of 10 Americans are considered upper, upper middle class in the world. Upper middle class in the world. I would say in this room, it's more like 9.8 out of 10. You're considered upper middle class in the world. That's a good thing. So you would think that we would be the most thankful and grateful people on the planet. On, instead, we hear a lot about not having enough or not having what someone else has. Right? I am not talking against buying a house when you need a house or when it's time to move because you have kids or whatever. I'm not talking about buying a car when, you're, when your hoopty breaks down. I'm not talking about it. Our, our van, our Manny van is 10 years old and it's it's got over 100,000 miles and our last one we drove to almost 200 before somebody hit it and wrecked it and we were sad but this this van is is um it's it's falling into the hoopty category it just had something wrong with it that i i spent like 800 dollars buying parts part after part after part nothing fixed it nothing fixed it a seven dollar ground strap Fixed the van, mostly. It's still got some issues. But its days are numbered. And I, I, I thought about, you know, how can I get rid of this thing right now? But my conscience tells me I can't sell it to somebody like this without giving them full disclosure, and they're going to give me 100 bucks for this van. Because it's like it's possessed. <laughs> We're driving down the road, and the wipers come on by themselves, and they won't, they won't stop. You can't control them. When that happens, the turn signals don't work, so it's not safe to drive. And it's just maddening that this would happen. When something like that happens, go buy a new car if you can. That's okay. But don't go buy a new car because your buddy got a new car, and you're like, his better than yours, and you want to one-up him. Right? So we hear a lot about not having... When, when I was... Um, I want to say we had, we had been in, in ministry about three or four or five years somewhere in that area. So it was in the, in the 90s. And we were invited to a kid's birthday party that used to go to church here. And this kid was, I, I, I want to say, six, seven years old. And this, nobody here, so don't start looking around the room. <laughs> so we went to this McDonald's birthday party down in, in Chase at the McDonald's by Benji's. Y'all know where that is. And we're having a good time, man. Everybody's eating Big Macs and hamburgers and stuff. And there's a, a table full of gifts that this kid is about to open. And that's, that's cool. Get the, you know, my kids get lots of gifts. It's cool. It's fine. But this kid starts opening gifts. I hope none of y'all were there. Um, and this kid start, starts opening gifts, and he gets ha- the paper halfway off. And he takes the gift and pitches it in the next booth. And what's next? And gets that one. And gets that one almost not even completely unwrapped and pitches it in the next booth and says, what's next? And over and over and over. And, and you could tell some of the gifts he opened he didn't really care about. So he's like, ugh. No lie. 
And then when he got to the end, he's like, is that all? And y'all are all sitting, man, what a brat. Y'all thinking that right now. What a terrible kid. What a brat that kid is. And I'm thinking, what terrible parents. Oh. Ooh. Y'all laughing until I said that. Because a five-year-old kid is nothing but a direct reflection of mom and dad. Oh. <laughs> Let's just, I'll leave that alone right there. This is not a marriage... This is not a marriaging nor, marriage or nor a parenting seminar. This is, this is about being thankful. But that's like a top ten of what not to do with your kids. Just FYI. The kid wasn't thankful. Now, I, the, op, the polar opposite of that, he doesn't have to say, oh, this is amazing. I love it. He doesn't have to go overboard like that. But, you know, let's have some gratefulness. Let's have some, some thankfulness for, for what you're getting. So why, what's next? Why didn't I get this? This isn't enough. Understanding that everything you do or everything that you will do, or anything that you will accomplish, begins with your mindset. That's why this is so important. Everything that you're going to be starts in your mind. So as Scripture says, as you think, that's how you're going to be. As you think, that's how you will be. So if we're driven by more, we're never going to have enough. If all you want to do is get more, you're never going to have enough. How much is enough? How much is too much? It's God's will for our life that we live in a state of gratitude, but not just celebrate it on one day of the year. But then there's this. In Proverbs 27, 20, the wisest man to ever live says, Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. The Apostle Paul said, When I would do good, evil is right there with me. It's a law that when I want to do good, evil is present. And then Solomon said the, that the eye, my eyes will never be satisfied. My flesh will never be satisfied. So what does that mean? Where we live? Well, it means if I have a 50-inch TV that shows me 1080p, I want a 4K 65-inch just because. Not that my 50 1080p is bad. It's just that it's old technology, and I want the new technology. You may want 3D. You may want the curved screen. I don't know what you want, but you want something else. Why? Because your eyes are never satisfied. Me too, man. <laughs> this hits me in the gut sometimes. Our eyes, if, if I want a newer car, I want more amenities. If my seats are leather, I want a suede headliner. It's a thing. It's a thing. Why? Because my eyes are never full. If I have 18-inch wheels, I want 20s. I'm thinking last week. How can I lift my Jeep? I wonder what size tires I can put on it. Does it need it? No. Do I want it? Yes. Why? Because my eyes are never satisfied. My eyes are never and never. I want a faster computer. Anybody else want a faster computer? Who wants to ditch your windows for a Mac? Anybody? A couple of you. Yeah, a couple, yeah I see a couple hands. Yeah, we want those things. We want nicer clothes. We want a bigger house. You get the picture. We're never satisfied. Here's what happens. As our standard of living increases, we become accustomed to it. As our standard of living... Man, when, who remembers the big TVs? Yeah. Y'all, we had a 36-inch Sony TV in our basement. And it weighed like 250 pounds. 
It was this thick. It was this wide. And it was just massive. And we gave it away. And then I had to help carry it out of the basement. I'm like, oh. But now you have a 50-inch TV that weighs 15 pounds. Now you have a television that is barely thicker than wallpaper that will mount to your wall and doesn't stick out at all. And we, we have these things. So as our, when we had, let's, let's date ourselves for a minute. Who remembers the black and white 19-inch that you had to turn the clicker? There was no remote control. Rabbit ears with foil on them. Yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then you had NASA on top of your house sometimes trying to get your six channels. See, as we grow accustomed to our standard or our level of living, we get used to it, and then we be- as we become accustomed to it, we feel that standard of living is owed to us. So let's follow this progression here. We have, the, we have the rabbit ears with the foil and the TV that has no remote. And then the clickers invented. And what a great day that was. Because then you didn't have to get up to change channels. But then TV started getting flat screens and they looked better. And then the first flat panels came out that were six, seven inches thick. And man, they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then they started getting smaller and thinner and lighter and, and resolutions better and the colors and all this stuff and la, 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 la. But as we get those things, we get accustomed to them. And as we get accustomed to that standard of living, how, let, let's be honest, who wants to go back to a porta potty or, or outside toilet? My, my grandmother never had uh, a toilet in her house. This true story. That was kind of gross. But we get accustomed to a certain standard of living, and then we think that we're owed that standard of living. And then once, once we get it owed to us, then we become entitled to that. We in America are entitled to running water because we're used to it. We are entitled to indoor plumbing and toilets because we're used to them. And those are basic necessities. In, in the preamble of the, of the Declaration, it says we're entitled to four things, life, liberty, Three things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? It doesn't say that we're entitled to indoor plumbing. It doesn't say we're entitled to flat screen TVs. It doesn't say that we're entitled to having a nice car. It doesn't say the government owes us health care. It says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we get this standard of living, and health care is vital. I'm not saying that. But we get this standard of living, and we become entitled to it. But entitlement fosters an ungrateful heart. As you think in your mind, that's how you're going to be. And when we're entitled, when we think something's owed to us, we, we, it, that fosters an ungrateful heart, and ungrateful heart equals thank, thanklessness. You see the progression and how that, that, uh, that can be a trap that we easily fall into. And that's just trivial stuff like TVs and stuff like that. But we can, we can take that any direction we want to take it. But you get the point. When we get accustomed to living a certain way, it's owed to us. And when it's owed to us, we're entitled. And entitlement breeds an unthankful heart. And not having gratitude. A thankful heart finds good in every situation. In every situation. In all things. Give thanks. 
An entitled heart is grateful. Listen to this. An entitled heart is grateful for nothing because that heart feels like everything is owed to them. Instead of being grateful for what we have, an ungrateful heart, an entitled person, tends to live angry about what they don't have, about what is owed to them, or about what somebody else has that they don't have. And this leads that person to take everything they have for granted. And this sounds pretty much the polar opposite of what our key verse is for this series. Give thanks in all circumstances, for it is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And that is a tough pill to swallow at times. I didn't say it was going to be easy all the time. So, so how do we do it? What do we do with this? How do we overcome our very nature? Because it's our nature to want more. Scripture says that we're all born in sin. We're shaping in iniquity. It's our nature. Solomon said that my eyes will never be full. When we're born again, we get a clean slate. We're brand new people. We are brand new people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to change. We no longer have to fall prey to all the things that we once did, and it leads to life change. And that's, that's what the amazing thing is about what God does in our life, is about the life change that he brings to us. The thing about life change is that you have to want it. God is not going to pick you up. He's not going to levitate you. And spin you around six or seven times, and when he drops you back down, you're this new creature that never wants anything bad. He's not just going to pick you up and spin you around and eradicate all your bad habits. That's not how he operates. But he will allow you to change. He will help you to change. If you want it, you have to want to change. Many people want the blessings of God. Who wants the blessings of God? Raise your hand. Be honest. Who wants God to bless you? Some of y'all don't. I don't know why you're here if you don't. (laughs) We want the blessings of God in our life, but not everyone is willing to change. See, God doesn't change. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. We are the ones who has to change to be more like him. And a lot of people want the blessings of God, but they don't want their life to change. I needed my life to change. Jesus made me a better person. Did he make anybody else a better person? He made me a better person. I wanted to change. Here's an awesome quote I heard this week. If you want to receive the blessings of God, and a lot of you do, we all do hopefully. If you want to receive the blessings of God, seek the God of the blessing. It seems simple. Such a simple little thing. If you want to receive the blessings of God, just simply seek the God of the blessing. Seek the God of the blessing. When you do that, when you seek him, when you put him first in your life, when you're following and pursuing after him, the blessings automatically follow. That's just how it happens and how he designed it. So that leads us to this. How do we do this? What are some things I can do to live a more thankful life? What are some things I can do to recognize the things in my life that sometimes I take for granted, that I don't say thank you for, that I may get mad because I don't have what somebody else has? What are some things I can do to get over this? 
Again, 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Number one, change your point of view. Change your point of view. We don't believe, this is not me, Seth Godin. We don't believe what we see, but rather we see what we believe. We don't believe what we see, but rather we see what we believe. If we live, if we view life through the lens of an unthankful heart, we're going to be hard-pressed to find the hand of God at work in our lives. If we're never grateful for what we have, if we're never grateful for what God has done in our life, we're going to be, we're, we won't see the blessings of God. We won't see how God, if, if, if we, if we are, are struggling and it, we never seem to get by or over the hump and, and we're, we just stay wallowing in that, in the mindset of I can't do it, I can't do it, it's not working, not working, we won't see that God's already brought us light years from where we were. And we can't be grateful for what God has already done. Are we there yet? Are we finished? No, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We're not finished. But man, look at what he's done. Look at what's happened in your life in the last 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. I met with a pastor a couple weeks ago, and I said, there's this family in our church. You won't believe what God has done in their life. It's amazing. And if, if you're in the storm that you're in right now, you don't always stop to think, man, look what God has done. Tawana's great at that. Sometimes I'll be like, man, this just isn't working. I'm so frustrated. Why is this happening? I am the guy that doesn't like to cook popcorn on the stove because it takes too long. And even though I know microwave popcorn is really bad for me, really bad, read about it, I'll put a bag in the microwave and hit popcorn. Y'all just cry. I just crashed some of y'all's worlds when I said microwave popcorn is bad for you. It really is. I'm that guy. I'm not a patient person. I am, I am all about having it my way. I am all about having it right now. And sometimes she's like, babe, just stop for a minute. For real. And she'll be like, look at what God has done and look where we are. And, look. and I'm like, yeah, you're right. But why can't it just happen already? And she has to talk me off a ledge. Who's got a ledge you, you go out on every now and then and it's just not working fast enough and it's not as good as you want it. And yeah, we've all got those things. And hopefully you have someone in your life that, you can talk, that can talk you off that ledge and, and you're probably the person that talks them off the ledge when, when they're not thinking clearly and you are. That's what a relationship is about. You will see what you look for. If you're just trying to see the bad and the negative and what hasn't worked and what's not going right, you will see that. And, and your spirit and your, your attitude will reflect that. But if you look for what God has done, if you look for the positive in your life, if you look for the blessings that are already there, you may not be where you want to be. It, your, your big dream may not have come true yet. But if you look at what God has done and where he's brought you and the promise he's placed in your life, I promise your perspective will change even in that moment. Where you feel mad or upset or depressed. You think about what God has done. You will see what you look for. So how about we look for something good that, what, that, that God has already done. Change what you believe and you will change what you see. Number two, change what you worship. Oh, it's a tough one. Change what you worship. Don't fall prey to the consumerism our world is all about. Is it cool to have the nicest, newest thing? It absolutely is. 
I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it's not nice to drive an $80,000 car or it's not nice to have, you know, whatever. I'm not going to start listing stuff. I don't want to get in anybody's business. But it's nice to have all that stuff. It is. It's cool. But if that's all you want, if that's all you see, if that's all you pursue, that's all you'll have. There will always be a nicer pair of shoes. There will always be a nicer watch. There will always be a nicer TV. You go in Best Buy and you buy that, that one that costs 2500 bucks on the wall. Well, if you go in Magnolia, you can buy one that costs eight. There's always something nicer, something newer, something better. Change what you worship. Fall so completely in love with Jesus that he truly becomes everything you need and that everything you need comes from him. Complaining when things aren't going our way, complaining when, when we don't have everything that we want, shifts our focus away from Jesus. And it puts our focus on our circumstances. And it causes them to take the place of him and everything he wants for us. I told our worship team this morning, I said, I asked who was nervous and a couple people raised their hand. I said, well, the deal is with this. Worship through it because when, when our weakness shows up, when we end, he begins. Because scripture tells us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. When it feels like you're at your end and the, and the storm is around you. When Peter stepped out of the boat, if you don't know the story, Jesus was walking across stormy water to his disciples. And they were all scared and afraid and, and they were freaking out. And they were on the ledge about to jump off and, and it, was, it was a mess because the ship was all crazy and it was stormy and ugly. And, and, and Peter said... Lord, if this is, they were scared because they were, they were pretty certain Jesus was a ghost. And, and Peter said, Jesus, if that's really you, let me come out there to you. Meaning he wanted to go out across the water to Jesus. And Jesus said, it is really me and you can come to me. <laughs> so Peter had the guts to say something. Now he had to have the guts to get out of the boat and to try to walk on water. We give Peter a lot of grief, but come on. Peter had some guts. So he stepped out of the boat. He put his foot down, and guess what? He walked on water to Jesus. But the Bible said when he saw the wind, you can't see wind. You can't see wind. You see the effects of the wind. So when Peter saw what was going on around him, when he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on the storm around him and focused on what wasn't right, what happened to him? Nature took over. Down he went. And Jesus reached down and grabbed him, picked him up out of the water, and they walked to the boat together. When we take our eyes off of him and focus on what we don't have, and focus on what's not going right, and focus on the troubles around us, and what we hate, and all that negative stuff, we take our eyes off Jesus, and we begin to sink. Instead of, what, instead of focusing on, on what is bad in your life, instead of focusing on what, on what you don't have, how about you focus on what you do have, and what God has blessed you with, and you'll keep your head above water. You'll keep your head above water, and you'll keep on your journey towards Jesus Christ. This is an imperfect church. I love our church, but it's flawed. It's messed up. It's not perfect. Why? Because that's how all of us are. 
instead of focusing your attention and your energy on what isn't perfect here, instead of what we don't have here, because we don't have a lot of stuff. But we do have a lot of stuff. We do have a lot of talent. We do have a lot of amazing things in this church. Focus on those things. Do you realize I met with a pastor this week and it was amazing and we were, we were getting ready to have lunch and I walked into this restaurant and I saw a couple from our church and we talked for a minute and, and they were telling me about a dessert they were getting ready to have and then I, they, they got up and left, we waved and, and we got, I met my pastor friend and we got finished with our food and, and the waitress brought out this huge slab of carrot cake. I'm like, I didn't order that, but it looks good. It's like this tall. It's like this big around. And she said, the couple that was here paid for this carrot cake for you, for you to eat when you were finished. I'm like, yeah, how awesome was that? <laughs> yes. That's an amazing thing. I can focus on what we don't have. I can focus on what's not right. But if I focus on the fact that people love our church and that there are people here that, that love me and, and they want to do things like that, man, that just lifts my spirits. That just makes... Things like that can make a bad day go right. And it's all about focus. And that was on, that was on Tuesday, and, and I think it was on Tuesday, it was. And then I come to church and find out that we have no power in a lot of the church. It's broken. There are no lights back there. There are no lights back there. The bathrooms have no lights. I'm like, we can't have church if we can't have lights in the bathroom. So I call Jerry. I'm like, Jerry, we have no lights, dude. He's an electrician, and a good one, but come to find out. So he, he, I think he and Ross come over here on Thursday night, and they're, they're going to the church, and they're, they're taking off switch plates and, and plugs and looking in the ceiling and the, and the breaker box. All the breakers are on. We have no lights. And they, they can't find a bad switch or plug or anything. Turns out BGE had a problem on the pole. So a third, like third of our power was gone. And they came. If I had focused, man, it's a good thing I had that cake before I came in here and found that out. Because I was able to focus on what God was doing that was good. Instead of, man, this church is 50 years old. It's wired wonky. He's like, yeah, it really is. <laughs> so the, the, the positive cake is like, yes. The wiring is like, eh. But overall, the cake won. Why? Because, yeah, yay cake. Why? Because I was able to focus on the good instead of the bad. It worked out. And I'm thankful for the cake, but I'm also thankful for the guys that came to diagnose the problem. Yeah. I'm thankful that people love this place and and they want to sow themselves into it. I'm thankful that he's blessed us with an amazing group of people and amazing talent. Yeah. How about young talent today in, on the worship team? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So change what you worship. Look at something good and focus on that because when you're focusing on that and the blessings of God in your life, you're focused on Jesus and what he's done for you. Number three, associate with the right kind of people. Sometimes you just need new friends. Misery 
loves company. Misery loves company. Friendship advice. If somebody comes to you and, and says, oh, blah, 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 don't say, well, at least you're still alive. <laughs> Hello, Eeyore. Don't be Eeyore. But be cautious to surround yourself with people that are grateful, that have the same goals as you, that want to go the same place as you. Negativity does not breed thankfulness. Negativity does not breed thankfulness because you're focused on the problem instead of the one who gives the solution. You're focused on what you don't have instead of what he's already provided. Be cautious to surround yourself with people that are grateful. Negativity does not breed thankfulness. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. Show them to me and we'll talk about it. We'll look at where they are. You're the average, your, your income is the average of your five closest friends. Your morals are the, the average of your, your five closest friends. Your vocabulary ooh, is the average of your five closest friends. Know somebody that, that their, their life was sideways, it wasn't going the right direction, and, and they, started, they, they, they gave their life to Jesus, and they started coming to church, and man, their life just turned around. Boom, boom, boom. Grateful. Gratitude journals, all kinds of stuff going on. Positive in this person's life. They made a turn. They were doing better. But after a month, two months, three months, and man, they were just making strides. Boom, boom, boom. Doing better. In, going in the right direction. This friend came back. This friend came back. This friend came back. And I want to tell you something. It was five friends that came back. I am not exaggerating. I'm not spinning a story. It was five people that came back in this person's life. And that person, they went from juke, 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 to start just trending down. The same path up started trending down. And that person's not here today. Why? Because you show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. You show me the vocabulary of your five closest friends and I'll show you how you're going to talk. You may clean it up to come here. But if you're around it all the time, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fall into that lifestyle, into that pattern. Make sure you have the right kind of people in your life. Does that mean you shouldn't associate with people who don't love Jesus? No. We are to be the salt and light of this world. But you do it with the intention of reaching them, of, of helping them change their life like your life was changed. Not with just commiserating with them. Associate with the right kind of people. Show me your five closest friends. How does that work? You may become friends with somebody, and they may do something that you think is just crazy. You think it's ridiculous. You don't want to be like that. Well, over time, it doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't seem so bad. Oh, it's okay. And then you're doing it. That's how it works. It's association. Show me your closest friends, and I will show you your future. Associate with the right kind of people. Proverbs 14.30, again, Solomon says, A heart of peace, a heart of peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. A heart of peace brings life. But envy rots the bones. And the last thing is practice reckless gratitude. Practice reckless gratitude. Push the envelope. Practice thankfulness when everybody else bows to the idols of envy, jealousy, and thanklessness. Thank God on purpose. 
thank God on purpose. You don't always think to thank God for sunshine. That costs you nothing. It makes you warm. It tans your skin. It puts vitamins in you that you need. It lights our day. Thank God for the sunshine. Thank God that you have a hoopty to get into to go to work. And thank God for that work you have to go to that puts food on your table and clothes on your back and gets you a paycheck whenever you're supposed to get a paycheck, hopefully. Thank God for that stuff. We don't always think to thank God for the shoes that we wear. They may, they, they may not be the name brand you want, but are they shoes? They keep your feet dry. You got socks in there to keep your feet warm. Well, Pastor Scott, that's stuff we're supposed to have. Well, uh, hello. Isn't that that entitled, that standard of living that we become accustomed to, and then we get entitled to that? There are people that don't have socks to put their, on their feet before they put shoes on their feet. Thank God for your socks. Thank God for the meals that you eat. Thank God for the water you drink. Thank Him for the beautiful landscape that we have around us. We drove up into Pennsylvania yesterday, and, and man, the, the colors on the trees were just stunning. Stunning. You can't make that stuff up. Practice reckless gratitude. When, when that thing happens, that makes you happy. When that thing happens to make you feel good, when somebody tells you you look nice, or they tell you I love you, or you're a great person, Stop for a minute. God, thank you for that compliment. Thank you for my coffee mug. Thank you for my coffee that revives me from the dead every morning. <laughs> thank God. See, we, we get to the place where we're used to coffee in the morning. We're used to, when we get in the car, we turn a key and it starts. And we do this stuff on autopilot so much that we don't stop to think to consider the blessings in our life. We don't thank God that our car starts every morning when we get in it. We don't thank God, we may thank God, for the seat warmer in our seats. I'm pretty sure my wife does. She's really cold-natured, and those seat warmers save her life about every morning in the wintertime. But when things happen... That you know is a good thing. That you know, you know they're a blessing from God. You know it's provision that he's put in your life. When you're able to come to a house of worship and you hear things that help you Monday through Saturday. And that get you going in the right direction. Instead of finding something wrong to say about it, why don't you say, God, thank you. Thank God for small things. Thank God for insignificant things, but thank Him for the big things too. And keep your eyes on Him because that's where we're going. And it becomes a lifestyle. As you think in your heart, so are you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Instead of being ungrateful, instead of being angry or frustrated about what you don't have, focus on what you do have and focus on the blessings that He's given you already and thank Him for them. Because why? Because that's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus.